Well, this morning, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. Uh, we've been in here for a few weeks now. I have really enjoyed it. It's the first time I've ever preached a series in the book of Acts. I've loved the feedback that you've given to me, uh, the things that have touched you guys this week. And so I'm uh, excited as we continue going for these next seven, seven chapters, continue rather, uh, of the things that are going to move and how God's going to use it to touch your lives and the truth that he's been using to touch my life as well. Uh, now, in case you're new, only been here a couple of times, Acts is all about how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church, worked through early Christians to spread the gospel, to take the gospel from about 120 people sitting in an upper room to millions across the world wide. And it was all the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're unpacking how the Holy Spirit accomplished this. And this is important because if you sit here today as a follower of Jesus Christ, the same purpose and mission that was given to those first Christians has been given to you. And even better, the same power that was given to those first Christians was given to you. So we're talking about how do we get to that place where we impact the people around us that God has given us to impact like they did? How do we get to that point where we are being used by the Holy Spirit in the same way for God's glory? Now, last week, we did a little compendium on what it means to be a Christian or, or how uh, one becomes a Christian. And if you missed this message, I want to encourage you to go on the website to go on the app, to go on YouTube. It's probably still on Facebook. It's on the podcast. Literally, we make it as easy as possible to listen to these things, to go and listen to it because there are far too many people who are walking around this world believing they're a Christian because they prayed a prayer weeks, months, years, or decades ago and yet have changed nothing about their lives. And so this message really gives you an understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It is worth the 30 minutes of your time. It may be life-changing for you. Now this week, just like we gave a little compendium uh, 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 last week on how to become a Christian, this week we're going to do a little compendium on what it means to be the church. What is the church? Because as I have come and lived in, in this area for the last eight years, a lot of people have the wrong understanding of what the church is. Some people who have been going to the church for decades don't still understand what the church is. And that's important to understand this because the church is a beautiful part of God's plan for our lives. Experiencing the church in, in, in the proper way opens up a door to experiencing some of God's kingdom here on earth. I don't want to underestimate the power of the church in our lives. I'm a living testimony to it. So as we unpack this today, I want to give you the same encouragement as I did last week. This is one of those messages where if you've been in the church for a while, you, you, you can be easy just to tune it out and start thinking about lunchtime or whatever else you got going today or the tasty treats after service because you'll feel like, well, these are probably things I know what's coming, what I've heard before. And, and I want to urge you, don't, again, allow the enemy to cause you to make that mistake. Uh, because on one hand, it doesn't matter how many times you've heard something, it only matters as if you're actually doing it. And then two, God always has something new to show us, a new revelation, a new truth, or a reminder. And so my prayer is that you'll simply ask yourself, Lord, help me to see and hear what you want to show me today. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. And that goes for me as well. So as we start this little compendium, first we need a proper definition of the church because many of us, we grew up thinking the church is the building. Right, And we still say it today, even those, for those of us know it's not the building, we still say, it. I'm going to church. 
uh, which is not necessarily wrong with that, but you have to understand the church is not the building, or going to church is not a church service. The word church in the New Testament never refers to a building, ever, or a place. It always refers to people, every time. Church refers to people, and it refers to either the total number of believers in the world, which we'll use, call the universal church in you know, theological circles, if you will, or it'll talk about a local group of believers that meet together like we do. We're the Echo Lake Church, not the building, the people. Christians are the church. In Ephesians 5, it, it, Paul talks about how Jesus is the head of the church. He's the leader of the church. And he goes on to say how he gave himself, gave up his life for the church. I am pretty sure that Jesus did not come to die for a building. He came to die for us. We are the church. We are the church. Stan, you are the church. Glenn, you are the church. Don, you are the church. Tom, you are the church. Steve, you are the church. You take every one of our names in here and you put it in there, you are the church, period. And when you understand this, it changes how you read these verses. It changes how you read the New Testament. Because you realize the truths and the instruction and the teaching that is given to the church in that day is not meant for somebody separate. It's meant for you personally. The mission that was give, given is not given for the church, which sometimes can seal separate from us. It's given to you personally. And so with that understanding that you are the church, the mission to go and make disciples is your mission should change and, uh, how you read the verses that we're going to read today. It should cause you to reflect and say, are these things happening in my life? Could these verses that are said of the apostles and the disciples and the first Christians, could they be said of my life? Because like I said earlier, it is a beautiful thing when we are the church as God has intended us to be. There is joy, there is fulfillment, there is encouragement, there is growth, there is a change in perspective, there is the ability to see yourselves used by God. It is amazing when you live as the church as God has called you to be. I guarantee you right now the people that are dead in their faith, who just are bored with their faith, it is because they are not being the church, period. So let's see what we find here as we reflect on our own lives. Acts 42, very popular verses, you should know them well. It says, and they, speaking to the first Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And, the, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. So what do we see here about the first church? Not a perfect church, 
As they'll come up in future chapters, they had lots of problems, but what are the practices that they put in place that we should examine for our lives? I think the first thing that you see is the sense of community here. The sense of community. How connected they are to one another. Romans 12.5 gives us this illustration of the church. It says, for as we, so for as in one body, we have many members, parts of our bodies, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Let that sink in. He's talking about the church. He is saying the church, all of us are like body parts. Some of us are elbows, some of us are hands, some of us are feet, we're knees, some of us is the neck, but every one of us is a part of the church, like it were to be a body. That is how connected we are supposed to be. When I get up in the morning, I don't leave my hand at the side of my bed. I don't forget my feet. I couldn't if I wanted because we are, they're so connected to me. This is how the church is supposed to be. This is how every single one of you, this is how me and, and me, how we're supposed to be. It's important to understand this and to let this drill into our hearts and let us reflect on our lives because in our very individualistic society, many of us do not have this kind of connection to the church. It's a place we go when we want to, when we're in the mood, or when we don't have more important things to do. In fact, as individual Americans where we're all about ourselves and doing our things in our way, it, you know, this sense of community probably seems a little strange. It seems like a little cultish. A little, you know, a little, little like this is what the crazies do. To be this connected to other people seems just freaky. I mean, we open up certain segments of our lives, but we do it when we have to. When you get a job, you have to engage with other people. Right? So you do that because you're forced to. You know, with your family, you're forced to engage them. But how often do we go out of our way to build this kind of connection and community with the church? There was this professor was, uh, from Harvard. It was Robert something. I don't remember his last name. Anyway, he wrote, a, he, wrote this, uh, he wrote this book. It's called Bowling Alone. Anybody bowl here? We have any bowlers? Any bowl? All right, Stan. Okay, you're the only one I'm going bowling with. Great. Uh, well, so much for the church bowling league. Ah. Uh, and the, his research that he did was about the deterioration of community in America. And he researched lots of, uh, and this, I, I wrote this like 20 years ago, very prophetic book, if you will, though he's not a Christian. He, um, he, was talking, he researched a lot of communities, a lot of organizations, and what he saw was that people were being in community less and less and less. And one of his things that stood out to him were bowling leaks. And, um, and my dad was in bowling league a lot, and I was when I was a kid and in high school. And he said a lot more people from the statistics he would get from the National Bowling Association, whatever, would show a lot more people were bowling and going out, but a lot less people were bowling in community. They were just going by themselves. And he found this as a, a trend for all of America, that we were going at it alone more and more and more and more. We see this a lot in Christianity, especially now with the presence of online. A lot more Christians that I will talk to, at least in my experience, well, I don't need church, I, I'm good, I, I have a relationship with God. That's what I'll get. So this is not the church that we see here. This church was bowling together. They had an epic bowling league, right? They had an epic bowling league. They lived life together. 
the, the five verses that we read right here, in the strongest way possible, rebukes any person who thinks there's such a thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. It doesn't exist. A Lone Ranger Christian does not exist. You cannot be a Christian and choose to be outside of community of the church. Now, I want to make a I want to be very careful. I want to say choose because we have some people who don't have the ability to be a part of the church. They may be stuck in their homes. There are Christians in other countries that are jailed. They don't have the opportunity for communion. But it's those for who choose. Remember, Scripture is all about the heart. It is all about our heart and what we intend to do or not do. Though I will say it's kind of cool. Some of the people that I know that are watching online, uh, some people who got to find our church, I, I think, Dom, they're friends of yours, they'll go and they'll post on, or, or, or even Alyssa, I think, or your dad, and they'll go and they post online and they engage with Facebook. And to, the de- to the degree that they can, they get connected in our community, which I think is just cool. There is no Lone Ranger Christian. They did life together. So when you think about your Christian life, are you doing it alone or are we doing it together? Now what does this together look like? What does this together look like? It says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Apostles uh, were, were men in the church, leaders in the church who, who knew Christ personally. And they were teaching about Christ let me tell you, and, and, and even though we don't have apostles in the same way today, we still benefit from teaching. Hopefully you benefit from being here this morning. And what does teaching give you? It gives you direction. Teaching gives you direction in your life, in all aspects of life. It helps you to know when, where to go. See, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you choose to follow him. You make him Lord of your life, you follow him. So you will follow his commands and his teachings. Now, many will say, well, I can just do this on my own. Scripture would say otherwise. I remember when I was, uh, when I was bowling, Stan, I'm just going to talk to you since you're the only bowler in here, the rest of you don't care. So we're just, you and, you and I are going to have a conversation. So when I was bowling, I would do like when everybody typically bowls, I would just throw the straight hand, right? So I had this buddy in middle school, high school, his name was Corey Gardner. And he, he could throw one of those nasty curves, you know, where it just starts on the right, comes right in, knocks them all over with just authority. And so he wanted to teach me how to do this. And so, but I was like, no, no, I'm good. I got it. I can figure it out on my own. You know, me and my 120 that I would bowl, and he was bowling like 230, right? To the point that even his parents, you know how parents are always nice to other people's kids. They're like, Jeff, geez, listen to our son. He's trying to teach you here. I think in the same way in our lives, too many of us live that way. We're like, I got it. I can figure it out on my own. I, I don't need any help. Now, we may never say this out loud, but we say it by choosing never to come to church or not to go to a Bible study or not to watch online or, or to listen to podcasts. And Jeremiah 17.9 teaches us something very different. It says the heart, listen to this. This is talking about your heart and mine. It says your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Your heart is sick. My heart is sick. Who can understand it? What it's saying is that your perspective on life, the way you feel and think about things is rotten. 
And you are going to always lean towards thinking about them in a sinful and selfish way always. You're always going to see things through your lens. And this is another aspect that we see in, in, in our nation. Uh, the New York Times, four years ago, I think, they had an article, and there was this therapist, and, and she was writing about how the percentage of people that were coming in to see her about their own problems was diminishing. And what she was noticing was that people were coming to see her about other people's problems. And she'd been in the business, I think, 30 years or something like that. She said, it's gotten to the point where I've changed how I advertise therapy. I don't say, hey, do you need help with yourself? Do you need help with somebody else? And then what happened? My numbers picked up. Now, I'm, I'm not advocating therapy here. I think most of the time we just need to read the word of God and do what it says. But it shows the perspective that we have become a culture, and you watch it on Facebook. I watch it the way I talk about other people that I have problems with. I always been this way. When I counsel other people, uh, more times than not, it always starts with the look at other people. We're thinking, what is wrong with other people? Because there's this idea that we're okay, right? But Scripture says, no. Your heart is sick. You will see things wrong. You will see things sinfully. He goes on in Romans, Paul also says, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing or acceptable and perfect. He says, you got to renew your mind, because your mind comes out of that sick heart. And this is where we need other people in our lives to teach each other. I often use this illustration, you know, uh, that if Josie was sitting right behind Stan and she held up a certain amount and number of fingers, he couldn't see what was behind him. He wouldn't know. But I would be able to see how many fingers she's holding up. And in the same way, in our, in our lives, we often can't see where we're wrong. We can't see where we're being sinful. We can't see where we're being immature. We need other people who can look behind us and see it for us. This is why it's important to listen to the teaching of others who are teaching the word of God. We need people to help us think about things in a new way, to give us a new perspective. Every time you ever listen to this sermon, this happens to me, and they're like, oh, I've never thought about that before. That's why teaching is so important out of God's word. It expands our mind. It helps to override that heart. And, and then every time we miss out, and this is why we make it so stinking easy, we post to pretty much every media outlet we can, every time we miss a sermon, and then we don't listen to it later, we're missing out on a truth to help change and renew our minds. And then we miss out on the opportunity to engage other people. I remember one time I had someone come up to me before I was preaching, and they said to me, it was later in the week, I think, and they said, a uh, phone call, they said, hey, what did you think about the message on Sunday? What? I had nobody ever asked me that before. Well, it was It was good. He was like, well, does that mean you didn't listen? Or, you know. And I said, no, no, this is what it taught to me. Uh, and, and so we were able to engage that. And it helped me to grow. And he shared some stuff. And it got me thinking in my life, when we receive God's word, how often do we go home or we call or text nowadays someone else and we say to them, hey, well, how did God's word hit you this morning? And then how your perspective or their perspective, the person you talked to or texted, might help you to grow as well. I pray that, thought will come to you some of this week and you'll step out in faith and do it to somebody who knows what it'll lead to 
This is why we need teaching and perspectives outside of ourselves. It helps us to change, to grow, to renew our mind. Now, they just weren't going to school, though, either. There's more than education. It says there, were, there was fellowship. Fellowship. It says they devoted themselves to fellowship. Did you know that there's a difference between going to church and having fellowship? Now, fellowship's a weird word. We don't use that much anymore unless we're watching Lord of the Rings, right? It's just a weird word. We don't use it much. But I go back, we're going to go back to bowling, so I'm going to go back and talk to Stan again. I remember when I used to bowl in leagues, and uh, you'd always get picked with random people, right? And sometimes I was not in the mood, so I wouldn't engage them and get to know them. And so when I went to bowl, I'd go and I'd bowl, and great job, and, and blah, blah, blah. But there was a difference when I took the time to get to know my team. You know, and, and we get to joke, get to know each other. We buy fries for each other, though I hate it when they would eat out of my fry basket, but that's another sermon. You know, we would cheer each other on. We would encourage each other. We'd give each other tips. You know, we ended up talking about life. There was intimacy. And that's what the word fellowship means, koinonia. You probably heard it if you've been church circles for a while. It means an intimate fellowship with one another. And, and we always think of, uh, of intimacy at, at first in our sexualized culture in a sexual way, but it, intimate means a relationship that goes beyond all that surface level stuff and gets to the deeper, meaningful parts of life. They, got a, they were a part of each other's life. They broke bread together, which means they had meals together and probably did communion together. When's the last time you invited somebody over for a meal or out for a meal? Now, it's easy for us to go, well, it's, you know, COVID times. But if look past that, previous COVID times, if you can remember back that far, how often do you engage somebody for a meal? And, and, not, and, I, and I mean in like inviting the pastor, because that's like the easy call, right? I, because you already know him. Uh, but going and getting to know people in your church, meeting and shaking their hands, serving alongside them and say, hey, would you ever like to get a meal together? When have you put that kind of effort into relationships in the church? That's what it means to have fellowship. One of the studies that was done by Barna Research found that people who went to church on Sunday never served, never built relationships with everybody, anybody else within a year would walk out of the church. And they either go to another church and they would repeat the process or they wouldn't go back at all. And I watch it because we're small enough that I can. And I watch the people who stay consistent and I watch the people that don't. And I'll tell you right now, as much as I would like to say it's my incredible teaching, you know, or it's the awesome worship, I watch the relationships that those people have. Fellowship is so important. It is so important in our lives. Now, this is, you know, this is one of the things that bugs me because I, sometimes I'm in a rush, but I'm like, this is one of the reasons I can't wait to see us have a vibrant small groups ministry where people are opening up, opening up their homes uh, in this community of this church and where people will go more than just to church on Sunday and sit in someone's living room or on their back deck and read the Bible together and share about their lives together. I, I can't wait for this to develop here because we need that fellowship. Now, some of you, the thought of you going and shaking other people's hands is frightening. You're like, I don't want to meet other people. It's weird and it's scary. It's hard. Let me tell you, one of the best ways to meet people, if you're not great at meeting people, is to serve. 
is to serve in ministry. Because when you serve in ministry, you take your focus off your anxiety of meeting people you don't know, and you're doing something. You're serving people. And so it makes the conversation easier because it's usually around what you're doing, and it helps to open the door up to building relationship. You having trouble meeting people? Serve somewhere. Serve somewhere. Get involved. And if I haven't announced an area where you don't, that where you, a good area to get involved, come tell me because God might have a new ministry he wants to start in this church and he's waiting for you to pop up the idea. Serve in a ministry this is a great way to meet people. And what you're going to find when you do this is one of the coolest feelings in the world is that you will learn eventually that it's okay to be you. That it's okay to be you. We often feel like in our lives that we have to fake it. We want people to like us. We want to feel loved. We want to feel accepted. And so we're always prone to faking it in life. Come on, yeah, you know how easy to come out on Sunday. How you doing, brother? How you doing? I'm doing good. Bless the Lord. Praise his name. While you're dying on the inside. Or when we're sitting around with other people and they're like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay, even though we're dying inside because we don't want to open up that part of our lives. I remember I was taking, I was in pastor school, if you will, and they, one of they were talking about pastor health. And they said, uh, the, uh, the professor, he's like, he said, like a lot of leadership positions, being a pastor can be one of the loneliest jobs because you're often seen differently and because you don't know who you can trust and share, because you're often elevated, seen higher as like some super uber Christian, which we're not, you know, that people, when they learn about your sins and your faults, they're less likely to listen to you, or they're less likely to respect you, or they may use it against you. And so I walked into ministry with that fear, being a little guarded, faking it a little bit more than I should have. Now, praise God, today I stand here in a church with people who know fully how screwed up I am, and they still love me anyway. In fact, it's because I know how screwed they are up they are too, right? Come on. I know a lot of you. You guys are messed up people. Really? I mean, more in the 1045 than in the 9, but, but I messed up too. But, but you know what? We still hug each other. We shake hands. We pray for each other. We share our hearts with each other. It's okay. It's okay because we share what we have in Christ. And that, but you only get that through fellowship until you get to that place where you're able to open up the dark places or the hurting places of your life and see that, oh man, everybody loves me anyway. You're always holding something back. There's an intimacy that's kept back. There's a part of you that will be prevented from ever growing. This is what fellowship brings. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I love that I can go to any of my board members and say, look, I am struggling with this, and they're going to encourage me. They're going to hold me accountable, but they're not going to kick me out. They're going to love me whereas I'm at. Man, the church is a beautiful thing. It also says they shared with one another. They shared with one another everybody who had need. Man, you know, and this creates community as well. Right now, sitting in my garage is Jobin. If you've met Jobin, one of our sound dudes, he's probably in the back. I have his saw. It's an elect- it's a, a battery-operated saw. Really awesome, by the way. Um, and, and he lets me use it. And I have a car. 
that he borrows half the time because his family's ever expanding and one of his cars is possessed by a gremlin, so it never works. And so because we share our items with each other, we get more opportunity to talk and appreciation for each other. It creates fellowship with one another. And this is what you see then. As people had need, they just gave things to each other. They let each other borrow things. And this wasn't communism, as some might say. I saw someone wrote this, Jesus was the first communist. Lord have mercy. No, it wasn't communism because they chose to do it. They had these items and say, hey, I want to give to you. You give to me. Why? Because they realized everything belonged to the Lord and everything that they had was a gift and a blessing for him. So they're like, hey, let me just give it to you. It creates fellowship. The money that you guys give, that the Lord commands us to give, me included, it creates fellowship. Okay? Every seat that you sit in, somebody paid for. If you did not have that seat paid for, your butt would be on the ground right now. And probably a lot less of you would be here because you ain't going to come to church and sit on the floor. Some of you diehards would, but our kids who are having curriculum right now in their rooms with AC to keep away the humidity, it's all because somebody gave. It helps to create that fellowship, to create that area to learn and grow together. This is what the first church did. This is what I love seeing in our church. We have a very sharing church with one another, constantly giving each other things, things that I would never let other people borrow. Like, no way. Other people will let them borrow that. I'm like, do you know how much that costs? What, are you crazy? But this is the kind of church that I have seen over the five, almost five years that I've been here, and I love it. And the fellowship and the intimacy that comes from it. And the prayer. You see in the Bible that they prayed together. They were devoted to prayer. Man, and this is one area I want to see us grow, and I think we need to grow, and is our devotion to prayer. That when we come in to teach, that when we come in to see each other here on Sunday morning, that we be a praying church. That as Stan comes up to me and he shares, you know, his struggles that he has no one to bowl with, you know, instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you later, I can stop right there and just pray with him. I long to see that. I long to see us praying with our kids and our, our different people serving to be praying over what they do. This is, this is one of the areas of growth for us. Now, what's beautiful is when you're devoted to prayer and you're devoted to fellowship, when you're sharing and giving to those in need, uh, when you're preaching the word, something wonderful happens. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You get to have favor with people. And the word favor here, charis, charis, one of the two, in the Greek, it means to have a great reputation. It means to have a great reputation. You know what that means? It means that that church in those early days made Jesus attractive. In fact, they made Jesus so attractive that you can read some of the Roman writings where the leaders of that time were upset at how giving and how loving Christians were. Like they were out giving and out loving everybody else. And so they're like, we need to step up our game. You can actually read this. And it gave them favor. They made Jesus look attractive. They're like, man, if these people can live like this, I want to know about their king. I want to know about their God. 
I mean, wouldn't it be, think about this. If Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sins, right? Let's say he's the only one that we can figure out who we are and, and what we're meant to do. Then what greater thing could be said of us that we would handle our problems in such a way, we would teach in such a way, we would share in such a way, we would have fellowship in such a way, we'd pray in such a way that it would give us favor with people around us. That they would be interested in, to know about our God. It'd be the same for us being like on the Coast Guard and see somebody drowning. We want them to be interested in the life preserver. We're throwing them, don't we? We want them to be interested so they will latch on. In the same way, we want them to be interested about Jesus. And when we are the church, that's what happens. Now listen, I don't want to say that we are the ones who cause salvation. And, and, and he's very clear. Luke writes this, the Lord added it to their number. That means the Lord is the one who's at work in people's hearts. But what we do is when we are the church and God has called us to be, we put ourselves in a position to be a part of that process. And there is no cooler thing. Some of you know this. You know what it's like to place some small part in somebody's life and watch them come to church and start to find hope and be like, oh man, I got to be a part of that. Praise the Lord. There's not much better feelings. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're really a Christian, you should sit here today and you should be like, yes, I want to be this. This is how I want to live. This is what I want to do. This, yes, this is what I want to do. I'm going to tell you how you get a part of this. It tells you right in verse 42. Right in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves. You know what devoted means? It means to persist. It means to persist. It means to be committed to something. Now, some will say our problem with the church today is devotion or commitment. We're not committed anymore. I, that's not true. Because I guarantee you right now, when I was 21, I was committed to playing Madden NFL on my Xbox until 2 a.m. in the morning. I had no problem with commitment. We don't have a problem with commitment. We are committed to the wrong things. That's the problem. We're committed to the stuff that gives us the quick and easy satisfaction, not the things of the Lord. So I'll tell you what we need to do to get to this place is we need to learn to sacrifice. We need to learn to sacrifice the things that are fun in the immediate for the things that are fulfilling eternally. That's the only way that we can be the church that God has called us to be. It is the only way that we can find this fulfillment. It requires sacrificing. Partly what Jesus was saying when we say we must die to ourselves. And this means sacrificing our priorities and our scheduling. I mean, it is a sad state that I consider regular attendance in the church once every three weeks. And no, I don't sit there and I don't look at the roster of who's been here and check it off every week if you're wondering. Though that might be an idea up on the wall. Little gold stars when you come, little unhappy faces when you don't. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hebrews 10, 20, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to put it this way. If you are really a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I don't expect you to do this, but if you are a Christian, church should be the first thing on your list every week, period. Period. 
every week. It's not the thing that you go to if you didn't stay up too late on Saturday night playing video games. It's not the thing you go to if there's, you know, all the weather's perfect and the temperature's perfect outside and you have to literally do no work to get into your car and drive here. It's not the thing that you go to if you're not tired from the 95 other activities that you did that week. It's the priority in your list every week. Why? Because this is one of the only places, if not the only place, where all the things we just read about happen. Now, they happen in small groups as well. But this is it. This is why church should always be a priority. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't miss sometimes we're out of town or things of that nature, but when there is a pattern of your life, when more than half of your life is not at church, then there's no way you can be the church. The same with our kids. We end them up in so many sports, and sports are good, and they have a role. But listen, less than 1% of our kids are going to end up, end up pro. Even the percentage of many that are going to get a college scholarship is not huge. And so we're pouring all this energy and all this time into stuff that may not carry them throughout life. And literally, they're only one injury or disability away from losing completely. As opposed to making a priority in their life, the thing that can never be taken from them, the thing that gives them identity through all situations and carries them in eternity in a relationship with Christ. Every time we say yes to something, we say no to something else. What are we saying no to? Or how many times are we saying no to church because we say yes to something else? And I guarantee you right now, there is a dear correlation with church attendance and devotion to the church and to the Lord. Okay? Now, I haven't studied every human being in the world, so I'm not going to say blanket but I'm going to tell you, in my experience, the people that make it church more often, the people that are serving, those are the ones that have a growing relationship in Christ. In fact, Focus the Family did a sermon, a, series, a study on this, uh, that the people who were involved in their church community, one way or another, twice, uh, at least twice a week, were the ones who were growing spiritually. And so I was at a church in Oregon. I went through the roster of 300 people that we had attending there, and I knew most of them pretty well because there was only 300. I'm like, geez, that's right. I kid you, right now, if you're sitting there and, and you're at church every once in, a while, once in a while, I want you to take a challenge. Try taking six months of your life and making church the priority. For six months, make church the priority. Not if, ands, no buts. Make church the priority. Practice shaking hands and getting to know people. If you're germophobe, germophobe do an air high five. Get involved for certain six months, make it a priority, and see how your life is different. I guarantee you, when you're at church, you get an opportunity to be the church. Because church is not always about what you get, it's also about what you give. And this is why, listen, unless you, you can't be here for a serious medical reason or something like that, online church is not the same thing, okay? It's not. Because at an online church, all you do is receive. You don't give. And, and, and if you receive, because I've watched church from online. Oh, man, I'm, oh, did he just talk about bread? Ooh, I want some toast. I'm going to still listen to the sermon while I'm getting toast. Or why i got to use the bathroom. Or someone texts me on my phone. Uh, or I see the neighbor mowing the lawn. Or my kids come running. It is not the same thing. People need you at church because this is where it all starts. The pastor needs you. He works hard on a message. 
Okay, we don't just, this doesn't a one day a week thing. We spend the entire week working on this. And so it encourages the pastor when you come to church. It encourages the worship team who puts so much effort into singing. It encourages other people because when you come here and then they see people, oh man, here's somebody who's in my age bracket or someone who has kids like, like me or looks like me. It makes them feel comfortable and want to come back. Or when you come here and they see you praising God, you're clapping hands, it encourages them to do so. Or when you come here and you bring your kids, it encourages our teachers who are working so hard uh, to train and, and, and in the middle of the week put a curriculum together. You're giving to other people even just by being here. You can't do that when you're at home. You have the opportunity to say an encouraging word to someone who might need it or to reach your hand and pray for somebody who, who might need it. Church is so much about what you can give, but you can only give if you're here. Six months, make it a priority. Every Sunday, read Acts 2. Say, Lord, and ask the Lord, help me to become a person who, who gets into fellowship, who serves, and who shares for your glory, that I may have favor with the people around me, that many more may be added to your book of life. Amen, church?